Hi, so my name's Kat, and yes, we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through to 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's uh, great to be with you again today. My name's Paul Harrington. I'm uh, visiting for three weeks and preaching on the topic of the Holy Spirit. So that's uh, where we're heading in. Some of you I haven't met, I'd love to catch up with you over the next couple of weeks just to say hello and to uh, get to know you at least at least a little bit uh, while I'm here. As you probably picked up from the uh, all-age talk, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit today. Uh, just a little while ago, I was having a chat with uh, someone I knew quite well. I knew they'd just swapped churches. And so I asked how it was going. They said, it was going really well. And I said, why? And uh, they said, well, this, the church I've joined is a really spirit-filled church. Okay, really spirit-filled church. So I asked, asked her what she meant you know, by saying it was a really spirit-filled church. Now, I'm not going to tell you her answer. Uh, what I thought we'd do instead is to actually talk to the person next to you about whether you think Trinity Church Golden Grove is a spirit-filled church, okay? Is Trinity Church, this church, just in case you're wondering, this church, is it a uh, spirit-filled church? Now, if you're sitting by yourself, you might want to go and find a talking partner or just have a debate in your head. Or if you're a guest here today and the thought of talking to someone in church just terrifies you, uh, feel free to talk about whether the Crows are going to make the finals or whatever you want, really. Like, I don't want to put you under pressure. I want this to be uh, a helpful discussion. Um, so feel free to pass on it if it's not for you. But those, if you're up for it, okay, is Trinity Church Golden Grove a spirit-filled church and why? Why do you give that answer? I'm just going to give you, say, a minute each just to talk. All right, go for it. Uh, the other thing I should tell you, sorry, I'm not going to get you to give me your answer, okay? You're perfectly safe, all right? This, it will be secret between you and whoever you talk to, all right? Go for it. Okay, why don't I uh, get your attention back again? Let me turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Listen again to what it says. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament where believers are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So it's the only occasion where this is an instruction for churches and believers that seems to be compelled. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't work to fill people at other points and to do different things, uh, but this is the only spot where it's a command, an expectation that Christians and individuals will be filled with the Spirit. Now, that, that actually is very important. That is, you cannot have some 
churches that are filled with the Spirit, you know, Pentecostal churches, and some that are Bible-teaching churches. It's just not a possibility. Every church to be a church needs to be a Spirit-filled church. It's the same when it comes to believers. That is, you can't have some believers that are filled with the Spirit and some that aren't. That is, every Christian person needs to be filled with the Spirit or they're actually not a believer. So you can see when we come to talk about the question of being filled with the Spirit, why it's such an important question and actually why it's a threatening question. You see, if this is a church that's not filled with the Spirit, there is a huge problem because by definition it's actually not a church. If you can't confidently say that you are filled with the Spirit, then you may not be a believer. It's actually threatening, isn't it? Sort of a bit in your face. You may not have been expecting me to be in your face this morning, but I am in a friendly sort of way, you know. But uh, that's exactly what we're focusing on today. So I want to think with you for a few moments about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and particularly to focus on Ephesians chapter 5, because as I say, only spot in the New Testament where this is commanded. So will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And Father, we ask that as we consider uh, what you say to us at this point uh, in the scriptures, that we'll understand it, uh, that we'll be encouraged by it, that we'll be motivated to live spirit-filled lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're following along the uh, outline that was printed out or it's on the, uh, the site that you can look up, uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Now, Christians often uh, differ on what they think are the marks or the indications of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, some uh, think that when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, they think, think about what happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Just to remind you what happened there, we're in the book of Acts, so it's the early church, uh, in chapter 2, verse 4, the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem. They're waiting for the gift of the Spirit that Jesus promised he would give them back in Acts chapter 1. There they are, gathered together. Then there are, uh, there's a wind. Uh, there are tongues of fire that seem to come to rest on each of them. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now the tongues almost certainly are languages, known languages, that the the massed gathering in Jerusalem coming from different countries and backgrounds so they could hear the gospel being spoken in their own language. Okay, So that's the sort of tongues we're talking about. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, is it talking about that experience? You know, speaking in tongues? Or is it talking about something else. Okay, Here, the reason I've started with this is because it seems to me this is the uh, often the tension point uh, between people who think about being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is often the go-to place and the point of demarcation in terms of what people think. That's why I'm spending a little bit of time on it right now. Is it the same in Ephesians 5 when it says be filled with the Spirit as it's talking about speaking in tongues? Well, here, here are a few thoughts. As you work through Acts of the Apostles, there seems to be different evidence of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That is, people are filled with the Spirit and results in different things. Let me give you some examples. Uh, 
You can be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, or Acts chapter 10, verse 46, or Acts 19, verse 7. But you can also be filled with the Spirit and we're told, speak the Word of God boldly. Okay, that happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Or later on in the book, Paul is filled with the Spirit and he receives his vision and he's commanded to take uh, the gospel to the Gentiles. No mention of speaking in tongues or anything like that. That's the expression of it. Or later on in Acts chapter 13, Paul confronts Elymas, the magician, because he's filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit confronts a pagan magician. Or the disciples, they're filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 13, and what we read there is that they're actually filled with joy in the midst of persecution. So they can be filling with the Spirit in Acts and different outcomes as a result of that being filled with the Spirit. So when we're talking about the book of Acts and the book of Ephesians, here are a few thoughts that go with that. Some people in Acts of the Apostles are described as speaking in tongues, but actually it's a relatively small group. Uh, when you read through the whole book, it's a, it's a minority group that we see that experience happening to, certainly not all. Whereas the interesting thing is in Ephesians chapter 5, everyone is told to be filled with the Spirit. Right? It's a sort of compulsory activity for believers. The other thing you see in in Acts of the Apostles is that being filled with the Spirit is not a one-off experience. That's what Sue was picking up on in the kids' talk today. So, for example, Peter, he's there in Acts chapter 2 with the other uh, disciples at Pentecost, and he's filled with the Spirit and he speaks in tongues. Then in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter again is there. He's filled with the Spirit and he speaks the Word of God boldly. Then in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, all the disciples, including Peter, are filled with the Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly. Uh, That is, the idea, even in Acts of the Apostles, when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, is that it happens again and again and again and again and again. It's a continuous sort of event. The other thing about um, being filled with the Spirit in Acts of the Apostles is that it is clearly a sovereign activity of God that is told by Jesus, go and wait in Jerusalem till I fill you with the Spirit. And then they go to Jerusalem. They're not sort of... The the bit they're doing, the disciples at this point, is waiting. They're waiting. And God, by his sovereign power, fills them with the Holy Spirit. And it seems to me, as we go through Acts of the Apostles... It's not something they're doing in obedience to God. It's something that God, by his initiative, does in their lives. Whereas in Ephesians chapter 5, as you heard it read, it says, be filled with the Spirit. There's there's obviously a sovereign work of God, but there's a responsibility for Christians to, to do something at this point if they're going to be filled with the Spirit. Now, why have I taken this little, you know, off off-road track into into Acts uh, when we're focused on Ephesians. Well, it's because I think that people often, what they do is they read Acts 
and they insert what they've learnt in Acts into Ephesians. So when, when we come to read the Bible, can I say one of the challenges, one of the things we need to bear in mind, one of the principles is to remember when we read the Bible, it's a series of books, 66 books. Uh, it is one book, it is the word of God in one, one sense, it's the story of God, but each book uh, has its own unique flavour and its own unique sort of content and approach to different things. Consistent uh, right across the board, but individual. So in the first instance when we come to read the Bible, what we need to do is look at a book in its own context. That is, you read words in sentences, in chapters, and in the letter itself. And I think if we do that right now, what we're going to do is discover what Paul the Apostle was indicating he meant by being filled with the Spirit as we look at the letter of Ephesians. That's where we need to start. And then what we can do is we can stretch our lens and think more widely about the wider New Testament and what it means. So that's what I'm going to do with you. And uh, let me say, what I'm asking you to do is do a bit of work with me this morning. We'll come to application in a moment. But to start with, I'm asking you to think about how we read the Bible and how we do that faithfully to the way in which God has given it to us. And then we'll work out what it means in terms of its implications, okay? So keep working with me for a bit. When we come to um, the book of Ephesians, there's actually quite a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit uh, throughout this letter. So you go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We read this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now at this point, what we're talking about is the Holy Spirit's role in conversion, in convincing us about the truth of the gospel and putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to Ephesians 2 verse 22, we're told that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. In chapter 3 verses 16 to 18, we're told that the Holy Spirit strengthens us to grasp the love of Christ. You see, what we're being told is the Spirit's role in helping us become believers, deepening our relationship with God, making us more like Christ, and helping to unify the people of God when you get to chapter 4. When we come to Ephesians chapter 5, and those verses about being, or the verse about being filled with the Spirit, it's really helpful to remember how the letter of Ephesians shapes up. Uh, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the extraordinary mercy and grace of God towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ, what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 4 through to chapter 6 is all about how to work that out in practice, how to live consistently with the grace that you've been shown. That's where you get the uh, pivotal verse in chapter 4 verse 1, live worthy of your calling. Chapters 1 to 3 are all about your calling. Chapters 4 to 6 are all about living worthy of that calling. That's the shape of it. Then as you go through chapters 4 and 5, the key word that keeps cropping up time and time again is most of our translations will be living, but it's actually a walking word. Okay, so let me uh, give you the pointers. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, live worthy of your calling, walk worthy of your calling. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 17, it says, no longer live or walk like unbelievers do, 
chapter 5, verse 2, live, walk, a life of love. Chapter 5, verse 8, live, walk, as children of light. Uh, chapter 5, verse 15, be careful how you live or walk. And I love uh, the picture. Chapters 4 to 6 are all, all about living out the gospel. And what you're getting is the language of walking, walking, walking. This is the activity of the people of God consistent with living spirit-filled lives. Okay, that's the section that we're in. Then we come to chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We're told that unwise people are controlled by alcohol, but wise people, God-honouring people, they're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when it says be filled with the Spirit, just like in Acts of the Apostles, we see that being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing activity. So literally chapter 5 verse 18 is go on being filled with the Spirit. It's a a present continuous activity that's on view. Uh, Can I say that's really important? Um, If I said to you, you know, I... I, I, Paul Harrington, I'm a happy man, right? And you might say to me, how do you know you're happy? Uh, I could say, well, you know, 14 years ago, I remember I heard someone tell a joke and I just laughed my head off, right? Haven't laughed since, but it was really funny, you know? So I'm obviously a happy man, right? And you'd be thinking, I'm not sure you're a happy man just because you can point to a you know, time when you laughed 14 years ago. Probably... Not enough. Same sort of idea with being filled with the Spirit. Um, You go on being filled with the Spirit. Uh, I was talking to a man whose wife wrote her biography, and I'm not sure I'd want this to happen to me, but in the biography she mentions the fact that after she'd been married for a few years to her husband, uh, she felt like he never said to her that he loved her. You know, never said it to her. So what she did was she raised up with him. She said, you know, I feel like we've been married a few years, but you never tell me you love me. And uh, what he said was, this is recorded in the book, so it's public. Uh, he said, well, look, when we got married, I told you I loved you. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Right? Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm recommending it to husbands, right? This is, I don't think this is very wise. Um, here, the idea is go on being filled with the Spirit. Okay, it's an activity you keep at, right, consistently moving forward. You never finish it. Uh, do you know when Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself? Do you ever finish that? Is it ever complete? Same here. Go on being filled with this, the Spirit. Now the other thing to bear in mind as you read this is it's a, a command for a church. We tend to individualise our reading in the New Testament and make it all about us. But in the first instance, this is all about writing to a church and what a spirit-filled church looks like. It's also a command for each believer. We're all sealed and not some are filled, but actually all are filled as well. But in the first instance, there's a corporate idea. Okay. 
Now, you've been very patient. You've uh, allowed me to do my sort of teaching, work you through the text bit. What does it mean, though, to be filled with the Spirit? So where does the rubber hit the road? And how would you know? Let me um, have a look with you. It's where we live wisely. Let me read again from chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. People who don't have the Holy Spirit, they live with a, a closed world perspective. Okay, but by definition, that is, life is all about what you can see, taste, touch, you know, have, possess, you know, function. It's, it's a world that's limited by this world. And that's the scope of what's going on. It's to do with possessions and experiences, jobs, uh, relationships and family in this world, degrees, renovation, travel, cars. That, that's the, that's the limited world. It's the unwise view. It's not that you can't make smart decisions, but it's the scope within which your decisions are made, confined to this world. The wise person uh, lives with eternity imprinted on their hearts. And they understand uh, that this world is not all there is. Now you might, if you were here last week, I mentioned a guy called Peter, 95, trying to evangelise his almost 100-year-old friend at the nursing home. And the 100-year-old friend doesn't believe in Jesus at all and wants his kids to euthanise him once he turns 100. And Peter said to him, I'm looking forward to dwelling with God for all eternity. Now, do you understand? Peter is a wise man because he has eternity printed on his heart. Spirit-filled speakers, Christians, spirit-filled Christians, they're, they're spiritual speakers. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Church is uh, not just a God-me thing, is it? Uh, otherwise, when COVID finished, we could have all stayed home and just streamed online. Uh, and if you're streaming online today, I think that's a possibility, isn't it? It's not great, then I'd have to talk to you and uh, make you feel better about the fact that you're at home. But uh, we, we know that actually it, it, it's about being together and ministering to one another, as well as having God minister to us by his word. Sometimes uh, I talk to friends who say, yeah, they came to church, but they didn't really learn anything this morning. Uh, I think, well, actually you came to church not just to hear God speak to you, but to speak to other people. That is, your task turning up was to speak and encourage one another with the truth of the gospel and to build one another up. Psalms and hymns, I think it's just talking about speaking the truth in love to each other. And this is not the only occasion we do it. I know many of you belong to small groups. We do that constantly. I, I've been part of a small group with some men 
uh, half a dozen men for uh, 25 years, actually. The, some of the members have changed, but we've had a pretty consistent run over that time. They're all 10 years older than me in the faith. I deliberately joined a group where these older men would teach me how to be a godly man, and they'd do it 10 years in front of me as I went along. It's been a wonderful group. Um, we've spoken to each other's lives about marriage. So the man who doesn't tell his wife he loves him, we've been able to have a chat to him about that, you know, <laughs> and encourage him to sort of square up his game. We've walked with each other in the midst of tragedy. I think there have been four of us whose wives have had cancer over that period of time. And uh, three of those were before my wife got cancer. So I was able to watch them uh, process living in a broken world and trust in Jesus in the midst of that heartache. It's very helpful for me, having godly men show me how to walk that road. Uh, We've experienced tragedy. One of the men in the group, his son, at about 40, took his own life. And we uh, walked with him in the midst of that heartache and heartbreak. Some of us have had challenges uh, with bosses at work. I remember one guy was just so frustrated and our main encouragement for him was not to letter bomb his boss. You know, it was not really, but you know, it was actually trying to encourage him to be godly in the way in which he cared for and loved his boss who was not treating him well and to do that with integrity and faithfulness. It goes on, it talks in verse 19 about singing songs. Verse 19, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Uh, Spirit-filled Christians do sing to one another. Uh, You pick up in some of the songs we sing, they're they're more declarations to one another to praise the Lord or to honour him. But at other times we corporately praise God for his blessings to us in Christ. There's two dimensions to that, and it's picking up particularly here in verse 19, that whole idea of declaring how wonderful God is. To be spirit-filled is to always give thanks to God. Verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We live in an extraordinarily individualistic society. Um, I think generally the, the thing we're urged to do is to seek authenticity. You know, to live the genuine life for yourself. It's about self-discovery and identity. But to be filled with the Spirit is to have a God-centered view of life in this world and of who I am. And one of the tests for that is whether you give thanks to God, whether that's a mark of the way in which you operate. Thanks to God for who he is and for what he's done. I don't think here at this point it's saying you should be uh, thankful necessarily for all circumstances. Uh, I think you should be thankful in all circumstances. That's quite different. Um, For example, you know, this last week you may have um, had your cat die on Monday, uh, your house burned down on Tuesday, lost your job on Wednesday, discovered you didn't have insurance on your house on Thursday. At the end of a week like that, you're not meant to sort of get 
to the end of it and go, praise the Lord, you know, what a great week. As if somehow reality disappears and evaporates. That's not what's going on. But you can be thankful in all circumstances. Because if you know that what happens in this world is contained, if you know it's uh, just part of the process of God making you more like his son, if you know that eternity awaits, then you have perspective on life and you can be thankful to God that he rules from eternity to eternity and therefore you can actually be settled. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? Well, verse 21 is interesting, isn't it? It means submitting to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Is this the first thing that came to your mind when you thought about being filled with the Spirit? I suspect not, but that's exactly what's going on here. See, Christ, he didn't grasp after equality with his heavenly Father, but he submitted himself even to death on a cross. We demonstrate that we're filled with the Spirit uh, and you go through Ephesians when husbands lay down their lives for their wives. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. Or it goes on and talks about when children obey their parents. That's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Or when fathers, chapter 6, don't frustrate their kids. That's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Or when wives honour and respect their husbands. That's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because submission is actually the opposite of selfishness and greed, self-assertion, personal ambition. Submission is a mark of being spirit-filled. So let me come back to the question I'll get you to talk about. Is um, Trinity Church Golden Grove, is this a spirit-filled church? A few few weeks ago, um, someone wrote to me an email. They said they'd been praying that week and reflected on the way in which God had very kindly used me in his life over a number of years. Uh, I went along with him to a business meeting which was very confrontational, just sort of as a mediator type person. I spent time catching up with him and a tragedy hit his family during a time of sickness with his wife, being a listening ear. Now, why am I telling you a story where I'm the hero? Well, actually, here's the reason I'm telling you. It's because he wrote to me. He didn't need to write to me to tell me these things, but he did. So why was he doing that? Well, he did it because he wanted to encourage me. He wanted to build me up. He wanted to actually speak in a way that would be edifying for me. See, it's a mark of him being spirit-filled that he actually took the time to do that. Are we a spirit-filled church? A couple of months ago, uh, like I know quite well, let me know that his father was dying of a terminal illness, didn't have much time to live. And then if this is what he wrote in his email, 
See, we've had good conversations with my dad about the Lord and he has a deep assurance that Christ is his saviour. And while it's been a difficult time for me and my siblings, it's also been a wonderful time visiting and praying for Dad. See, there's a spiritual man, isn't it? Like he understands grief, he understands this world, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit and understands the hope that he has in Christ. To be spirit-filled is to understand the wonderful promises of God in Jesus and then to live in line with those promises in this world. Now, I know some of you well and many of you not so well. But the sort of things I hear from those I do know well is that this is a church which is working out what it means to be spirit-filled, working out the gospel on the ground with one another and trusting in the promises of God. Do we need to go on being filled with the Spirit? Oh, yeah. That is, we'll keep on going on being filled with the Spirit until the Lord Jesus returns. That's the reality. But that's what it's all about. Uh, Being filled with the Spirit in the New Testament, not so much about the spectacular, although it can involve that, but much more about the bread and butter following the Lord Jesus and his promises in this world in all situations. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Can I pray for us? Let's pray that we will go on being filled with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a gracious and wonderful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us so that we might uh, put our trust in your promises, um, keep on going on living in a way that pleases you. Father, we do pray at this church, and the people in this church might be ongoingly filled with your Spirit, living to glorify you and living in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.